This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green, and welcome back to the show. This is episode 163, and today I sat down with Bridget Johns, the founder and CEO of To and From. To and From is a modern gifting platform that uses AI, curation, and practical tools to help you find the perfect gift for those you love. Bridget shares her story from growing up on a farm in Western Pennsylvania selling piglets to pay for school supplies, her passion for retail and working for brands such as Tiffany's, Lancome, and Links of London, to working at a retail tech company called Retail Next for 12 years, where she served as CMO and then left during the pandemic to start her first business to and from. We talk about why she decided to build a gifting platform, gifting trends and occasions, the assumptions she made about fundraising, and the lessons she's learned from launching her first company. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and check us out at stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Bridget. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm so excited to hear your story and building to and from. Thanks for joining us. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's so good to see you. I have been, as you know, I've been a fan of your podcast for a long time, and I'm really excited to be on here. And I've been a fan of you. You're the reason I was able to speak at Retail Next conferences, and you guys always did great events. So I really appreciate you being an advocate for women and having me included in that. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And so now you're a founder and I'm so excited to hear how you built your business and learn more about you and your childhood growing up. I know a little bit, but I can't wait to share it. Let's start with the very beginning and where you're from, what childhood was like, and what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, that's a great question. So I grew up, I think, you know, on a farm in Western Pennsylvania And I had a really incredibly humble upbringing, but in some ways, a wonderful upbringing. We grew up on a farm and was very involved in my 4-H club and spent a lot of time outside with my brother and sister and really at a very young age had a great appreciation for growing and making and really like in a sense retailing. I've been, I feel like I've been a retailer my entire life. I was 11 years old running a corn stand with my brother and sister to, you know, my father would plant feeder corn in our fields. And then the last acre, he would plant sweet corn. And my brother, my sister and I would run this little business where we'd have people, you know, drive up to our house and we run out to the field and have fresh picked sweet corn. And that's where I really got my first experience with retail. 
Wow, that's amazing. That's really fresh corn. It sounds like it wasn't it's even very, very fresh corn. <laughs> Immediately fresh corn. I would have been yeah. a customer. That sounds re- yeah. like really good corn. <laughs> so it sounds like you were a little entrepreneurial as a kid. Yeah, um, I mean, it was really like baked into the fabric of who we were because my parents did not have a lot of money when I was growing up and um, they were not highly educated. My sister and I were first generation college students. So for us and our family, it was hard work was what was really rewarded. And even from the time I was eight years old, my father, when I was was very active in 4-H, my mom and my dad at the beginning of the year, they would give each of us a piglet in the spring. This is such a weird story, but they'd give us a piglet. We'd raise the piglet the whole year. And then at the county fair, we would sell the pig at the end of the county fair and whatever money we made was our spending money for the year. So what what does taking care of a piglet look like? I mean, obviously that's a (laughs) daily job, but I feel like it's a daily work. It is a lot of work. It is. Well, especially for a piglet, a pig that you're going to show at the county fair, you have to raise it. You have to keep it alive. You have to feed it. You have to groom it. You have to train it to walk around inside of a ring so that you oh, can wow. show it off at the county fair. It's all kinds of stuff. But that's amazing. You know, amazing foundational experience. And so then you sold the piglet. It sounds like you must, it must be pretty good money maybe to sell a pig. I don't know how much you make off of doing that. Yeah, it would be a couple hundred dollars, which when I was a kid was a fortune. And you know, right. that would be the money for back to school clothes if we wanted a yearbook, if we wanted to like do any school activities, whatever it was, all came from that money. Wow. So you were really working at such a young age, just from being on a farm. And did you have any aspirations of what you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, it's a great question. Where I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of role models. And I really appreciate the saying that if you see it, you can be it. I just didn't see it growing up. The only sort of professionals that I knew were teachers and doctors, my dentist. Um, I just didn't have daily interaction with anyone who wasn't one of those three people who had gone to college. Um, So when I was in elementary school, I wanted to be a teacher. And then when I was in high school, my sister went to college to be an occupational therapist. And I was like, oh, I like sports. That seems like a good job. I should go to school to be a physical therapist. And I applied to college to be a physical therapist. And then I did an internship after my senior year of high school at a PT clinic that was in my town. And I was like, ooh, you have to touch people all the time. I was like, I don't like this at all. <laughs> You're like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm not I actually people. had no idea what I had no idea what it even meant. So I switched therapy. majors before I started school and ended up studying business and economics, which was perfect for me. That's awesome. And so what about internships or your first jobs? You know, what were they and how did those go? Oh my gosh, it was all retail. I worked at you know, well, actually it was Wendy's. I worked at Wendy's in high school. You did? That's amazing. I did. It was terrible. <laughs> it was such a smelly job. But I would go like... Wait, were you from... flipping burgers? Were you the cashier? I did everything. I was Wendy for birthday parties. I did the whole thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the whole thing. That's awesome. So I would go to school, go to track practice as a runner in high school. So I'd go to school, go to track practice, go to work, do my homework during my break. At Wendy's, come home at like 10 o'clock at night, do more homework, get up the next day and do the whole thing over and over again. 
So when you think about, like when I think about entrepreneurship, the thing that does not scare me at all is how much hard work it is because it's right. what I've done my entire life. In college, I worked at Walden Books and the Piercing Pagoda and various other retail enterprises. Always, you know, in the back of my mind, feeling like I was going to college so I wouldn't work retail the rest of my life. I knew I wasn't going to be on a farm, but I was like, I don't think retail is a career. And at the time, I didn't understand it. And now I look at it and I realize retail is, in fact, an amazing career. And there's so many things you can do with it and so many ways that you can grow and stretch yourself and earn a fantastic living. Um, but at the time, I didn't see it at all. And I you know, was on a path to finish college and not work in retail. So I did that. I finished college and moved to Atlanta and started working for an investment bank doing equity research. And I was covering the insurance industry and it was so boring. And I pretty immediately thought, oh my gosh, I really don't like this at all. I actually really miss product. I really miss working with product and getting product in the hands of consumers and having that interaction with people on a daily basis. And I thought I need to do something different. So I went to business school and shortly thereafter started my career in retail, my real career in retail. Your real career. Yeah. You're like, okay, I'm committed now. Retail, here we go. Yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm all in. And then, so I know you've had such incredible jobs at Tiffany's and Lancome and Links of London. What are some of the biggest takeaways from those experiences that you have? Yeah, when I think about how I ended up on this entrepreneurial journey, there's of course the idea, which I think we'll talk about and how I got to, you know, gifting as the thing I wanted to solve. But also there's this just drive within me to do something entrepreneurial. And even when I was working for Ralph Lauren Home Collection, Tiffany, L'Oreal, I always was working, I would say, off of the mothership. So always working on businesses that weren't the core business. At Ralph Lauren, I worked for the licensee and I managed the Ralph Lauren home business within that licensee and had amazing experiences doing that. I worked in Canada, Mexico, South America. I lived in Europe for three years working on that, which was really cool, working with all the big department stores in Western Europe. When I went to work at Tiffany & Co., we were working on some new business concepts. So we launched a pearl-only jewelry concept called Iridesce. I worked on a couple of projects that didn't move forward that were really exploratory. It was really fun. And then I worked on site for a wonderful fine jeweler named Temple St. Clair that at the time Tiffany owned and had like really incredible like nuts and bolts operational experience working with her. So along the way, I kept filling my toolbox with like different tools that an entrepreneur really needs to have. So understanding marketing and finance and operations and supply chain and um, all of the different aspects. So in a way, like all of that experience is, you know, what has led me to where I am now. Absolutely. And it sounds like you've kind of also been part of these organizations where there's been a mothership, as you described. Yeah. And that is so different, I'm sure, for you now that you're completely in, on your own without a mothership, right? To build yeah. your business. So I can't wait to hear how that's been for you. 
But I know that you spent 12 years at Retail Next. You were CMO and you were also there as well, working in so many different departments from sales to customer experience to marketing. I find it fascinating that you've had all of these different job opportunities and these, and you've been able to be able to go into those different fields. I mean, most people, right, I think kind of go into one direction. They do only marketing all the way through, you know, but you've been able to jump around a lot. And yeah, I mean, I don't think of it as jumping around. <laughs> I think and I don't mean that in a bad that. way. I'm actually because it's very entrepreneurial. And I think that's awesome. I just think that most people probably don't have that opportunity or maybe don't know how to navigate the career path to accomplish that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And I think that, you know, I think there are people who have a straight line to success. Yeah. And there are people who sort of weave. And I'm definitely a weaver and it's actually how I think and it's how I bring creativity to the table. And it's something that I actually didn't know about myself until I worked at Retail Next. And, you know, I was one of the very early employees there. I started as a salesperson. I built our first sales team, built customer success did many different functions. In the end, when I left, I was running marketing and strategic partnerships for the company. And, you know, it's interesting. It was the first tech company I'd worked for. And it really highlighted this notion that there are people who, as I said before, think in a straight line and people who really have to weave to get to, you know, often the same result, but it's a more dynamic thought process along the way and working with you know really talented engineering team along the way I definitely learned that about myself and I actually learned about myself that I am a in fact a creative person I tell this story that when I was in elementary school in like the fourth or fifth grade I did an art project and I got a C or maybe even a C minus on it and it was so damaging to me because I thought what I had produced was a great piece of art So you were waiting for an A plus. Yeah. My art teacher in like Western Pennsylvania was like, no, that's not a good, whatever it was. And for my entire life, I thought I was not creative. Wow. Isn't it crazy how teachers can affect us in positive and negative ways? And what I realized was I may not have like artistic talent, which I would never say that I do, but I am in fact a really creative person. And it took me like most of my life to figure that out. And I really, I have a five-year-old son who's in fifth grade, an 11-year-old. And I think about that with him all of the time. Like you have to be really careful how you give feedback to make sure that it's not like so damaging as it was to me, obviously. (laughs) I'm sure that happens in the workplace too, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. People say, oh, you're not good at whatever. And then you really internalize that and it changes how you think about yourself as a professional. So my advice to anyone listening to this is just be careful. Your words do matter. Yeah. And I think with what we were talking about before, with how you've been able to work in so many different and build up so many different departments, I feel like you've almost looked at businesses in a holistic perspective, which is maybe what has enabled you to grow into these different parts of the business because you were interested probably in all of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And when I think about gifting, 
to and from, you know, we really think of ourselves as the co-pilot for your gifting life. Mm -hmm. And I believe that in order to solve gifting and to make gifting a better experience for people, you have to think about it holistically. Like you can't think about it in the context of a like lovely gift box that has, you know, a few products that arrives beautifully packaged. That is a fantastic product offering. And there are lots of companies that do that really, really well, but that doesn't solve gifting at the macro level when you think about these dynamic relationships that you have with people who are important to you in your life and how that ebbs and flows over time. And you have to think about gifting holistically to be able to solve problems for people all of the time, not that one time where this you know, beautifully presented gift box will work. Interesting. And so when and where were you when you came up with the idea for your business to and from? What's your aha moment and story for why you decided to build this company? So I've always loved gifting and I've always had this like emotional gifting is my love language, a hundred percent. I love it that book, by me- the way. What is it called? The Love Languages book. And there's five different love languages. Yeah, the five love languages. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Love it. And I remember when I was graduating from high school, my parents did not have a lot of money and and I was going off to college. So, and I don't even think I even understood how I was going to pay for college as I was going. Eventually I did. So that was good. But understanding that from this backdrop of like poverty and humbleness, my mother gave me for high school graduation, a full set, five pieces powder blue samsonite luggage and when she gave it to me I completely burst into tears which now thinking back it's such a like bratty thing to do but for me I don't even know what my expectation was that my high school graduation gift would be but it was definitely not powder blue luggage and when I think about it now I think about the fact that my mom number one she made great sacrifice to buy me that luggage. Number two, she knew that her middle child, which is me, was full of wanderlust, wanted to travel, wanted to like see the world. And she was in her own way trying to enable that. Right. She's like, here's some beautiful gift. luggage for you here's to travel. Beautiful luggage so why were you travel upset? After college. <laughs> I just think it was so ugly. That- <laughs> Oh my gosh. So it was really the color. It wasn't really the fact that you got a five piece set of suitcases. It was just the color. Wrong just, choice. Yeah. It was just powder blue. And, you know, from that moment, I think gifting became this, and I guess maybe it was already there, but it really started to mature as my love language for sure. And having like real intentionality and thought and specificity when it comes to gifting and showing gratitude and appreciation to the people who are important to me in my life. My friends will all tell you that I'm very good at gifting. I always remember, I always like show up with the right hostess gift or the right gift for your child, whatever it is. So it's always been a little bit in the backdrop. And when I was working for these fabulous brands, I always had the source for those good gifts. So when you work in beauty, you always have like gifts and samples and you can always be like the gifter, have people try amazing products. Like it's a great job to have in terms if you're gifting as your love language. 
But then as I was working at Retail Next, I sort of lost that access in a way, but then also had this lens to what was happening in retail. And we were working with all of these direct-to-consumer brands that had sort of stalled in their growth and they were starting to open stores and looking for new channels. And for many of these brands, like gifting is an obvious acquisition channel. It's like even a pair of Bomba socks, if they are gifted in the right way for the right occasion and the right context, can be an amazing gift. Even though you wouldn't wake up and say, I want socks for my birthday, right? But if somebody gives them to you and they're cool and they're packaged interestingly and whatever. And I started thinking about this like idea of how do you take all these disparate brands and give people access to them? Especially like I remember these moments when Rothy's was like blowing up in my world and in Silicon Valley, everyone had a pair of Rothy's. Everyone was thinking about Rothy's. And then I would see a friend who wasn't from Silicon Valley or from New York. And I'd be like, oh, do you know this brand Rothy's? And they're like, no, I've never heard of it. Right. And I would think, oh, I'm going to buy you Rothy's for your birthday or whatever. And it became sort of a go-to gift. It's so hard to discover some of these great brands. You know, I feel like you kind of have to be... It's like, how do you discover them, right? Unless you get targeted in an ad on Facebook or Instagram or wherever, it's very hard or see it in press. It's hard to kind of know what's out there. So it makes sense that you would think, you know, how can I help these brands maybe find new customers? As I started thinking about what I wanted to do next, I knew I wanted to start a business. I knew I wanted it to be retail adjacent. And then I met my husband. And my husband is an amazing person, a wonderful, wonderful man. He is very bad at gifting. And (laughs) it became this pain point in our relationship where he didn't want to give gifts. He didn't like getting gifts. He didn't understand that gifting was my love language. So it was very Mm -hmm. important to me. And I thought, oh my God, I have got to solve this problem to save my marriage. Not really. (laughs) Not that. Well, to save all those... All the people with the love language of gifting. It's a gift for them. And my mom is one of them. So I totally understand someone who has a very strong love language of gifts. And my dad is similar to your husband or he doesn't understand. And he buys her like headlights for her birthday. And it's like, oh, my gosh, dad, don't make it any worse. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She's hard to buy for. Yeah. So my now husband and I would spend a lot of time talking about like this problem and sort of the emotional triggers of the problem and how it could be solved. And he was actually the one that really sort of gave me the nudge and the push to step away from amazing 12 year career at Retail Next to start to and from. That's awesome. It's always great to have someone to help either validate your idea or, you know, some ideas you have, or just even just give you the push that you need to go and do something. There's been a few guests on the show where they have examples of, you know, calling a friend and asking, what do you think of this idea? And it's crazy to think that, you know, those small, tiny moments of asking someone a simple question or talking to someone about an idea how just similar to your situation with the teacher's response and the grade she had on your art project. It's very similar in entrepreneurship when you have an idea 
the people you talk to about it, they can either kill the idea and you are just maybe you just lose out on a billion dollar company that you could have built because of someone's response to the idea. So that's really awesome that you have supportive person in your life who can say you should go for it. Because I think a lot of people may not have that. Yeah, no, I mean, he definitely was, you know, he gave me that push that I needed. And I'm eternally grateful for him doing that because I, you know, in my heart of hearts, I wanted to do it. But I did, you know, I needed that permission to or that validation that it was something that I could and should be doing. So yeah, so two years ago, I left Retail Next and in the middle of the pandemic and started to and from. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about. But Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You will be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. How does entrepreneurship feel? How's it been going? Uh, It feels good. It's hard. But like I said before, I'm not afraid of hard work at all. This I will say it's the hardest I've worked in my professional career, hands down. Um, There's no doubt about it. But it's also incredible. As you know, I mean, you built a company and sold a company successfully. You understand it is hard, but incredibly rewarding. It's also a freaking roller coaster. Yeah, every like even day within like five minute increments of a day. <laughs> it's so true. It's something I feel like that is probably something most all entrepreneurs on the show say. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. I'm yeah. sure. And if you you have a small child, I'm sure you see this with your son, where he goes from really happy to really sad to really happy in a yeah. very short period of time. And you're like, what is going on? And I feel exactly like that. Um as I build to and from. That's yeah, exactly. It's like raising a toddler. It's basically the yeah. same thing. <laughs> Is there something that you wish you would have known before you started your business? Oh, I don't know. Um I wish I had known that fundraising well, I knew that fundraising was gonna be really hard. Like I walked into starting a company, I think with a little bit of hubris, you know, I have a very deep background in retail. I have incredible connections. I have nurtured my connections over time. Part of being a good gifter is like keeping your your you know relationships up to date. I'm not somebody who, you know, started cold with only talking to like 10 people in the last year. I have a very deep network. And I thought that like some parts of starting a company would be easier for me than they are for other people. I thought fundraising was going to be one of those things. Like for most everyone, I think it is just hard. It was, you know, we raised half a million dollars very early to 
kind of validate the idea and build our MVP. And that part actually wasn't that hard. It was you know, people that knew me well and that I'd worked with and that were very happy to write checks. And then the market changed. You know, the change in the capital market over the last two years has been really incredible. I think it has disproportionately impacted female founders, underrepresented founders, first-time founders. And, you know, I think I'm in this place now where I, like, don't actually get credit for what I've brought to the table in the same way that I might have two years ago when the markets were frothier. So I think that's been like probably the biggest learning and thing that has, you know, surprised me a little bit that even for me, and it actually like just validates what most people will say. I mean, even for me with my background, if it's so hard for me, I think about how like even more impossible it is for other people who don't have access to the same social network that I have and don't have the same depth of experience I have, et cetera. So I think that's been something that I, you know, have definitely been humbled by, Mm -hmm. Um, but I've also, you know, learning a lot and yeah. That even shocks me because I've known you and I know how connected you are. I know how many incredible relationships you have in the space. And to me, I'm like, yeah, of course you're going to raise money. It's going to be no problem. Bridget's she's going to do great. So it's even shocking for me to hear that it's been so challenging. I think the other part of it is that I have to like weave into this part of the story is there's a ton of investor bias against gifting. Right. And investors like really do not like the gifting space, even though it is, you know, of course, a huge market, massive market. There's never been a better time than today with the like technical tools and capabilities that are in the market to solve gifting, but investors are still really gun shy on like gifting as a category. Yeah. Well, I love what you guys are doing and I love the name too. I feel like there couldn't be a better name for a gifting platform to and from. You got to tell us how did you come up with the name? And then I want to hear more about how you kind of uh, measured success and stuff in the early days, but how'd you come up with the name? Oh, thank you. So we were very lucky to work with, I think that's the other thing that I've learned is that help will come from lots of different places. And we were very lucky to work with a really talented creative director very early on. He came out of Apple and had been there for a long time. And he sat down with us and we did like a full branding exercise. And To and From was one of the names that we fell in love with and were able to get the the URL without, you know, spending a gazillion dollars. I'd spent a little bit, but not too much. And he was, you know, a wonderful partner and and sort of landing on this name as a, you know, specific but generic enough name to help us like really evolve into what we wanted to become. Because I think that with gifting, you can be too cutesy or you can be too clever. And we really wanted a name that would support us as we grew and solved a lot of different problems over time. And I think so far, so good. That's great. Yeah. Love the name. And when did you realize that things were working? What metrics did you use to measure success in the early days? Like, when did you realize, hey, I'm going to keep this going? Or was there ever a point where you're like, if we don't hit X, then maybe I should not do this anymore? Well, I mean, I think you always have that, like that thought in the back of your head somewhere. So I don't think we're, you know, out of the woods yet. 
but we launched our first sort of public product last summer. We launched a discovery marketplace where you could come to our site and search and filter and get recommendations for good gift ideas. And I started having people tell me that they bought, you know, I had people start to tell me how often they were using coming to to and from to shop. And because we were a discovery site and our revenue was driven by affiliate, we didn't have a full closed loop of information. So at the time, I didn't have the full visibility on, you know, were these purchases all from one person or, you know, how often were they coming back? I could see aggregate numbers, but not the like depth of experience people were having. And when we started to unlock that piece of it and understand really how many gifting occasions people have in their life that they struggle with, that started to really open our lens to the problem that we needed to be solving for. How many are there? What's the average per person of gifting occasions that someone's shopping for? More than once a month. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. So you think about gifting and you think about, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas and birthday, but then you don't think about coaches' gifts and teachers' gifts and gifts for the in-laws and gifts for the sister-in-law and kids' birthday gifts and all of the hostess gifts and thank you gifts, all of these other occasions that you have to organize and manage for. And that, to me, has been one of like the biggest validating data points for us is now we have, you know, a much better closed loop on the data and we understand more. And when I see the same person choosing to come to to and from month after month or sometimes week after week, that's incredibly validating. That's for sure. That's shocking. I mean, Maybe I'm just a really bad gifter. I'm like, oh my gosh, I should be gifting a lot more than I am, I think. (laughs) That's the average here. And so once you kind of got that metric, you're like, wow, we're really onto something here. You know, I knew it. (laughs) I knew knew people needed better gifting. Right. You're like, I'm not the only one. And you have such incredible brands. I just saw a brand on your platform, Coast Arena. Love Katarina from Costa Rica, the olive oil company. We've had her on the show. Yeah, she's been on your show. Yeah, I love her story and love the product too. What are some of the most popular gifts on the platform so far? Do you have data around what people go to the most or type of gifts? We do. And it's, you know, it's definitely, it definitely gets skewed outside of holiday by the time of the year. So right now we have a lot of, you know, right now it's a lower price point teacher coach kind of gift that is um, most popular through the holidays last year. We had a few trends. One that we um, were able to see in the data. One was a trend around things to experience family together, like together time was definitely one of them. Um, I think people were really looking to hold on to some of the good things that happened through COVID where families were together more and you had more time together and people wanted to keep that kind of trend going. One thing we saw a lot of over the holidays that has continued is personalization. I think that brands have gotten very smart about personalization because they understand that personalized gifts are not returnable. 
So it's really helped brands with their returns problem to drive more personalized gifts. And people love that. Like it's definitely like something that people feel good about within gifting. You know, we see even with the cyclicality of different holidays, our average order value is $108, 108 to 120, which is pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like we've really locked into this idea that if you can give people great options, they will spend money on them. And what do you look for in a brand partner for the site? Uh, it's a great idea. And it's definitely something that we fine-tuned over time. We really started with the broadest, you know, swath of brands thinking about what would make a good gifting experience. But as we started doing more testing and more iterating, we started to understand that our users were very focused on mission-driven brands. So almost all of our brands have some kind of a social filter associated. So either they're sustainable, they're from underrepresented founders, they have a give back proposition, they're a B Corp. So we you know, definitely have brands that fit in that bucket, kind of first and foremost. We tend to focus on brands that are not widely distributed on other marketplaces. So true direct-to-consumer brands. I say brands that sort of live between Etsy and Amazon. I think those brands are ripest for discovery. I think they are most open to partnership. They're all looking for new channels of distribution. And they happen to be great giftable brands in many cases. So uh, I think those two things are probably first and foremost. And then... The third thing would be, you know, do they, our customer is mass affluent, typically a woman with kids, typically a working professional. So like quality and presentation of the product is very important. So, you know, products that come nicely packaged that are high quality, that she doesn't feel like she's going to be surprised and have to return it, I think are all things that have um, helped guide our curation. Interesting. Yeah. And is there anything over the past two years, you know, building this business, is there anything that you would have done a little differently, a different approach, different strategy when you're coming, when you were coming up with this idea, would you have done it differently at all? Uh, Well, my son will say you change one thing, you change everything. And I'm pretty happy right now. So I don't know. If I would have, I don't know that I can speak to one thing and say I should have done this radically different. The one thing, however, that that I always tell people when I talk to them about starting a business or if they're like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this or I'm going to quit my job and whatever, the thing that I didn't do that on reflection or like projecting forward, if I have an opportunity again in my life to be in that moment that I will do is to take more time. I didn't take any time from retail next to to and from. And I felt this pressure to start building right away and to know what I was going to build right away, even though I'd you know spoken to a lot of people and had you know a, a framework for what I thought we should start building to begin with. I wish I had taken more time to just reflect and to think. And just to talk to people and not have that pressure of actually building. And I think we, you know, I don't know if it would have caused me to do things differently or not, but I think I would have had more confidence in what we're building. And I also just think as humans, we need that separation. 
Like I think to go from one thing that's pretty intense, like 12 years at Retail Next doing a whole bunch of um, really interesting work, but, you know, on a rocket ship, like growing the company really fast and then helping to manage my team and the organization through COVID and then being still in the middle of COVID and then really like turning that off and starting the new thing the next day. Yeah. Like yeah. it's a lot. You, it's you a lot jump from our... one rocket ship to the next. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like tough. it's a lot for your, you know, mental health and your just ability to be the best person in every aspect of your life. We also I got married during COVID. We moved from the West Coast to the East Coast during the same time frame. Wow. And I was like, yeah. let's just jump in with both feet. And in hindsight, I probably should have like just taken a minute, like just taken a minute for myself and gone to a spa or yoga retreat or something and just not done anything for two weeks at least. That's hilarious. Exactly. (laughs) That's like kind of how I felt after, you know, from having built Wear Away and then working at Grin literally like the next day. I'm like, I really wish I would have just taken Oh yeah. Like take a minute. That would have been nice. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. I totally feel you on that. But you know, you made it through and it's it's probably like, you know, you're already here now. And hopefully you're able to take a vacation soon in the next couple of years. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I have my son goes to sleepaway camp and that feels like a vacation because it's, you know, it takes one task off of my not that he's a task but takes right. one thing off of my plate for a few weeks so I can just like deeply focus on my work which is really mm-hmm. nice yeah absolutely and so as you kind of reflect I guess what's some final advice that you have for entrepreneurs obviously you've provided so much advice already and I'd love to hear what's next for to and from and anything else that you'd like to include Yeah, I mean, I think the number one thing for any entrepreneur is just keep talking to people, just keep talking to customers, Yeah, to customers, customers for sure, but also, you know, people who are in the space who are adjacent or even sometimes competitive. I had a situation recently where I'm working with a partner and they are leveraging our tool to find gifts for their users of their service, like a concierge service, and they had a real need for children's gifts. So I pointed them to a company that I use personally for kids gifts, we haven't assorted kids gifts yet. So I was transparent with them and said, you know, this is a better offering for you. And then I was like, you know what, I'm gonna meet the CEO of that company. So I just reached out to him and just said, I really like what you guys do. We've learned a lot from the way you think about gifting with your site, kids site. And he was like, oh, we should have a call. So I had a call with him, learned a ton. Like he was very open about how they built their business, challenges that they had. And I think you just can't be, especially as an entrepreneur, you can't be afraid to reach out and talk to people, even if they're you know, somewhat competitive. Don't tell them your secrets, but it's good to know what's happening within your space. And even if that means having a you know conversation with a competitor. So I think that's been something that I always tell people to do, just talk to a lot of people and don't be afraid to ask. I had a call just before this call with a guy who reached out to me, cold called me on LinkedIn. And he's a one year into his you know undergrad at Stanford. 
And there was really no reason I should have taken the call, but I was like, seems like a smart guy and he has some questions and I'm going to chat with him. Fascinating guy has done amazing things. He's like 21 years old, but really like amazing conversation. And I was like, Oh, I'm so glad I had that call. Yeah. And he was probably like, Oh, I'm so glad that I reached out. I hope that he did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's, you know, I think the competitor one is really important. I think a lot of people, especially in the early days, even just with sharing ideas. Like I find a lot of entrepreneurs when they have their idea and so they're a first time entrepreneur, they don't want to tell anybody what their idea is. And it's kind of really doing yourself a disservice by doing that because A, it's mostly execution anyways. Ideas in my perspective are very cheap. Most people, there's hundreds of people that probably have your same idea. Like it's not that special. What's special is the execution and the team that you form around that idea to make it a reality. And so it's funny how people are like so afraid and guarded, I think very early of even talking to competitors or talking to anybody maybe about their idea because they don't want it to be stolen. There's a, so much more fear than there is, I think, reality and what could actually happen. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And that's one of the things that I learned working at Retail Next, like Alexi, the CEO of Retail Next, was always you know, very open to have, you know, careful conversations, but conversations with people who are competitive in the space, because you always learn things. And you learn, you know, the the macro picture that really helps to shape the industry more than it's going to actually help shape your company. And I believe strongly that a rising tide lifts all boats. So, you know, I want to talk to more people who are in the space who care about gifting, who think consumers should have a better experience. And, you know, I don't think that, you know, the end of the day to and from is not going to be the only place that people have a good gifting experience from. I hope they have good gifting experiences everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great perspective to have. And also those people that are on the competitive landscape, why not build relationships? Because they could be a potential acquirer. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent or partner or whatever down the road. Yeah. So you asked what's next um, for to and from. So we're in the middle of a big tech sprint right now. We're, you know, we launched last year as a discovery site and we are migrating to uh, have the e-commerce portion of what we've built be a full marketplace. So transactional site with big commerce on the front end and fabric on the back end to manage our brand partnerships. So we're really excited to get that launch. And then we will start building some more tools that help with the task management of gifting. So reminders, automated recommendations, things that put like that perfect experience right at the palm of your hand. Because I think that's where everything starts to really come to life. And we had to build some foundational experiences to be able to get there. One of the things we learned very early was people did not just want a tool. They needed a tool that connected to the product that they were going to buy. So we had to do that part first. And now we can start bringing those really important experiences to life with, you know, a lot more AI and automation. And we're really excited for what's happening, of course, in the generative AI space It plays right into our thesis around how you solve gifting. So we're starting to do some incorporation of those tools and yeah, getting ready for holiday 2023, which should be a big season for us. And our first like real season where, you know, we're not in MVP stage, 
and yeah, just growing and moving forward. And reminders, that is something I really need. So I can't wait for you to build that because I'm the person that's like, oh, crap, uh, Mother's Day's tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And we have it now. It's definitely part of the platform, but it's a little clunky to access and it's not super intuitive. So, you know, it was really built as a test. And now we're going to you know, more formally productize it so that it's you know very easy for you. Speaking of holidays, isn't Father's Day coming up soon, actually? It is. Two weeks. Um, two weeks. Oh, my gosh. So I actually might have time. So now I can go to to and from and find Father's Day gifts for my husband. Yeah, and check dad. your email tomorrow. We have some good offers coming to you. Awesome. I yeah. can't wait. And like I said, the reminders are key because what happens to me is I remember the day before and by then you can't ship anything and you're like, oh, I feel like such a failure. And you end up doing like a e-card over the email and you just like send it same day. And nobody feels good about it. No one. No one. Nobody I think my family knows it. me by now. I'm not the gifter in the family. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but wouldn't they be excited and surprised if you... Um, I think they might think something's were. wrong. Like, I think they'd be like, are you okay? Did you lose your job? Are you not working on something that you're like, you actually have time to send me something? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's um, the thing. Like, it shouldn't be a burden. You're right. It shouldn't take yeah. so much time to think about it what to get someone, yeah. which is the problem you're solving, which I love. So yeah, thank you again so much for joining me on the show today and sharing your awesome story. Welcome to being in the trenches of entrepreneurship. <laughs> and thanks again for sharing your story. It was awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.